All right. Good morning, familia. Um, I got to say that it is very significant for me to see someone become a member of the church. Uh, part of the reason is because I really, really, really believe that the church is extremely important. Amen? I really, really believe that the idea and the concept of the church is not something that someone invented and thought that it was a good idea. It's actually something, uh, as we're going to see in a second, something supernatural that the Lord has created. So it is a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be a witness of a new member of, of our Tri-Village community. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the pa uh, pastors in the church. Uh, and I want to welcome you all again. Um, for the last few weeks, we have been doing this series that we've called Gospel Culture, in which we're looking into uh, 12 different biblical traits, if you will, that help us at least in three ways. That's the way I see it, at least in three ways. It helps us to uh, define what a biblical church looks like. Number two, it gives us the things uh, that are necessary for us to uh, continue to experience spiritual renewal. And at the same time, it gives us the tools necessary in order for us to continue to be faithful and fruitful uh, in the midst of a changing society. Um, biblical church, spiritual renewal, faithful and fruitful. Um, and, and I think that these 12 things are non-negotiables for us as a church if we want to actually embrace what the Lord is calling us to do. All of this is under the umbrella of gospel culture today. We're going to talk about the priority of community. Um, and I actually think that this is something that uh, you guys already practice, uh, something that you guys already valued. But my job as a preacher today is to convince you that as much as you value it, you need to value it even more. So I need you to do me a favor. For those of you that don't like to speak to the preacher and the preacher speak to you, I'm sorry. Uh, I want you to look at the person next to you and ask this question. How desperate are you for community? Go ahead. All right, this is what is super interesting, right? Um, I, how many of you guys agree that we need community? Raise your hand. Okay, now this is family, right? Now, how many of you guys are desperate for community? You, you see, that changes a little bit, right? And it's because this idea of community is a, is a common term. It's a common idea. Everyone talks about it. I, I hope you know that this term of us being uh, in community and living in community is not unique to Christianity. Like, everyone talks about this thing. Everyone talks about the importance of us being part of something. Um. I would say that this is part of the reason why um, the pandemic was not healthy to us. Even if you're Christian or not, the pandemic was not healthy because we realized one thing that we remember and realize once again is that Zoom is not enough. FaceTime is not enough. A phone call is not enough. To be present online is not enough. There's something about our necessity to be with people, physically present with people. That's part of the reason why um, you should never feel guilty if you miss being with other people. You should never feel guilty that you crave the physical presence of another human being. Have you ever wondered why is it that in prison, for example, one of the worst punishments they could give is isolation? Have you noticed that? If you want to punish somebody because they were doing wrong, 
within the concept of prison, which is really interesting. The, the worst punishment is isolation. Because at the end of the day, everyone knows this. Even the people who don't, don't believe in God, everyone believes that we, don't, we were created for relationships. Because we were created in the image of a relational God, we do not function well without a meaningful community. Did you catch that? Because we were created in the image of a relational God, God Father, God Son, and God Holy Spirit. We don't function well without community, without interactions with other Christians in the context of the church. I actually think that it all, this all comes and is super clear in Genesis chapter 1. That, that passage, I always find it super interesting because God says that it was not good for Adam to be alone. You know what's interesting? That he was not alone. You know who was with him? God. So it makes it kind of weird and awkward that God would say that it was not good for Adam to be alone. And that's why he created this beautiful woman called Eve. Because by design, we need both spiritual presence and physical presence. That's the way we were created to be. Now, that being said, um, there is a uniqueness of the community of faith compared to any other community. Let me say that again. There is a uniqueness of the community of faith compared to any other community. Because when we talk about community within the context of a local church, if you will, we are talking about this profound, supernatural community called the church. Once again, profound and supernatural thing called the church. Listen up, church. That is not based on political preferences, even though you are entitled to have your political preferences. That is not based on backgrounds, even though we all have different backgrounds. That is not based on social class, even though we all belong to different social classes. That is not based on race or ethnicity or nationality or language. Listen up. Not even that we all have the same theological convictions. Because within a body of faith, there are people with different theological convictions. The reason why the church is a community is because God supernaturally put us together. That's the difference between a regular community and the church. Almost any other community in the world is based on some of the stuff I mentioned before. Actually, I was reading, I, I shared this with the West uh, Chicago campus the other day, but I was reading this study that says that nowadays people do not, uh, this is a study done with a few people, but it says uh, people do not, do, they, don't, they don't mind getting married with someone of a different faith. Listen up. There are Christians that no longer worry about uh, or mind getting married to someone of a different faith. But they would never marry someone with a different political view. Don't you find that ironic? It's okay we worship a different God. But as long as we worship the same political party, we're okay. 
That's why their community of faith is completely different. It's a supernatural union. It is something that is unique. Now you would say, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that from? Well, that's why we read in the text. I want you to look at verses 4, 5, and 6. Look at what it says. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. We'll talk about that later on. So in Christ, can you say in Christ? We, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There's a couple of things that I want you to see just in these three verses. Number one, I want you to really pay attention to the word in Christ. If you have a Bible, you might underline that, circle that, memorize that, because our union is not based on anything else or nothing less than in Christ. That's where I get the word supernatural. We are not united by superficial things. We are united in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that died and resurrected for, uh, uh, for us. This is super, super, super important to us to, uh, for us to keep in mind. As part of my preparation for this sermon, this week I, I went back and I read um, a, very, a classic book that talks about community by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The book, uh, the, the book is called uh, Life Together. And just in chapter one, he's got a whole exposition about this phrase. What does it mean for us as a church to be one in Christ, as a community of faith for us to be one in Christ? And this is what he says. That the, that the reason why we are together is because it was God's idea. Not your idea, not my idea. That the person that is sitting next to you, church, listen up. That the person that is sitting next to you, in front of you, or behind you, was placed by God here. His idea, not your idea. And if that is true, and the Bible makes it clear that it is true, then you are to, we ought to be thankful that the Lord put us together. Not to complain, and I'll talk about that in a second, not to complain so much about what the community doesn't have or what the community lacks. Because if God chose us and he puts us together in Jesus, in one specific community of faith, we ought to be thankful for that. Once again, because this is a supernatural union, supernatural fellowship. The Lord puts us together. Actually, to make it even more uncomfortable, can you look at another person, different person, and say, hey, we are here because the Lord put us here. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you, that was terrible. That, terrible. Let's try it again. Find another person and say to that person, we are here because the Lord put us together. Go ahead. All right, that's enough. Now, watch here. Bonhoeffer says that not only we have to be thankful because the Lord, this was God's idea, but that the Lord puts us together to reflect to one another what we have already received in Christ. Notice that he's using the same phrase, and he's going to apply it in a different ways. He says what makes a difference in a community of faith is that if in Christ I have received mercy, I have now the tools to extend to others what I have received. If I receive mercy, that's why I extend mercy. If I have been forgiven, that's why I extend forgiveness. If I have been loved, that's why I loved all. Uh, 
love others. You see, the base of all of this is in Christ. That's what makes the difference between our community of faith and any other community of faith. In Christ defines even how we do community. And then thirdly, he says that if we are in Christ, then we should set our expectations to whatever God wants for this community to be, not what we want it to be. See, how many of you guys are married? How many of you guys ever were ever in love with anybody? How many of you guys are married and in love still? Don't, how about if you're married and you don't raise your hand? That would be, that'll be an issue, right? But listen, listen to this. Everyone steps into any relationship with some sort of expectations. Everyone. And you know what destroys relationships? When your expectations don't match reality. Isn't that true? I think that sometimes people step into the family of faith thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be awesome, which it is. But it's awesome with broken people. It is awesome in the midst of a broken world. It is awesome knowing that you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, and therefore we ought to expect issues within the community of faith. But because we are in Christ, that shouldn't define how committed I am to a family of faith. We have been supernaturally united in Jesus Christ. You know, the best term that I've, I, I picked this from somebody, I'm, I'm sure, because I don't create original stuff in my head. Somebody called the church a beautiful mess. And I 100% I agree with that. You know why the church is a mess? Because I'm in it. And you are in it. But do you know why it's so beautiful? Because Christ made it beautiful. And it's beautiful because he puts us together. I mean, just look around in the room for a second. And I guarantee you that there are people here that naturally you will never gravitate to, uh, toward. There are people here in this room that if it wasn't because of God's mercy and grace, we, would, we wouldn't have any kind of relationships. That's what makes it supernatural. Did you know that this kind of idea, this kind of concept of community was what, one of the things that the Lord used to make a Christianity so unique in the first century? Actually, this idea of community is what made Christianity so appealing to, need, to even non-Christians in the first century. Listen to what this professor from Yale University says. A main reason for Christianity's success is to be found in the absolute inclusiveness. Did I say that right? Kind of? Something? All right. I got to look at Eric because every day he says, Hannibal, you said this wrong. More than any other of his competitors, uh, any other religions, it attracted all races and classes. Christianity glory in its appeal to Jew, Gentile, African, and barbarian. Christianity drew the lowly and the uneducated. And Christianity also developed a philosophy that converted some of the greatest minds in society. 
Christianity too was so for both sexes. And women were active in its work while two of its other main competitor religions were almost exclusively for men. There was no other religion that took, that took in all groups and all, in all areas of society. You see, that's why, listen, that's part of the reason why I'm a believer, man. Because what we see here is completely, completely supernatural and amazing. One of the most beautiful things for me, for me and personal conviction about the church is that when you become a Christian, you don't lose who you are. The Lord brings you just as you are. We are not, we're not supposed to be the same. Which is the second thing that I wanted you to see in verses 4, 5, and 6. Did you notice that it talks about many members that don't have the same function but different gifts? The church is not a place of unity in uniformity. The church is a place of unity in diversity. And that's what makes it so amazing. See, one of the things uh, uh, as an immigrant in the United States is when I understand that the Lord called me and put me where I am, not so I could change into something that people want me to be, but because of who I am and the way he made me to be. And it's the same thing for you. Your uniqueness is what makes you beautiful. Your uniqueness is what the church needs. Your uniqueness is what makes this community of faith so amazing. It is your uniqueness created in the image of God. Just how you are with the things you have, what makes you special. And that's why the Lord put you here. There's nothing more boring than when everything looks the same. You know, I learned this from my wife. My wife does not appreciate, and if you live in one of those places, nothing personal. But my wife, she doesn't like when uh, you go to neighborhoods in which all the houses look the same. If you live in one of those, I mean, the Lord forgives you. Don't worry. But, <laughs> but one of the things that my wife enjoys is when we're driving through the streets and every house looks different. There's something beautiful about that, don't you think? The church is like that. It's a beautiful mess. How about if you tell the person next to you, we are part of a beautiful, beautiful mess. Go ahead. That, that was extra. That was an extra kiss, not part of the sermon. <laughs> Let's go to the second point. The community of faith is not community of diversity, but it's also community of necessity. And I think that by now you probably... Uh, know what I'm going to talk about, because the text makes it clear that if the Lord puts you in a community of faith, it's not only so what you are can be appreciated by others, but also because of the things you have, uh, others need, and that what others need, I know, and what others have, you need. Did that make sense? Look at verses 5 and 6 again. So in Christ, we, though many, from one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Can you say belongs? 
We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Listen, that word belongs, it's offensive in modern day. I don't belong to anybody. I don't belong to no church. I don't belong to my husband, my wife. I don't belong to my friends. I don't belong to my parents. It's all about me. But the Bible makes it clear that within the, com the community of faith, we belong to one another. You know what that means? That we are interdependent. That whatever you have, I need. And what I have, you need. That there's no one here in this room that is not needed. And there's no one here in this room that, does that, that doesn't need what the other people have. This is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that every, every gift we have from the Lord is for the common good. Every gift we have is not for us. It's not to elevate ourselves. It's not to be recognized. It's not to be appreciated. It's not to say, man, I'm worthy. What well, Paul says that every gift we have is for the common good. It's for other people. It's for the glory of God and the well-being of other people. Actually, what Paul says is that every gift we have is an evidence of God's grace. Did you notice that? Your gifts are evidences of God's grace. Therefore, no one in this community of faith should ever feel superior to anybody else because it's by grace, nor inferior to anybody else, because what you have is by grace. We belong to one another. We need one another. We, I didn't put this in the slides, but this is part of the reason why in verse 3, says says that we should have the right view of ourselves. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. You know what that means? Don't add to what the Lord already gave you. And either don't subtract from it. What you have and what you are, the Lord gave you. For the sake of this community of faith. We need one another. See, we are part of a community not only because the Lord created us that way. But we are part of a community because we truly need one another. We got to remind one another of the truths that we already have. We need to be confronted with one another. We need to be respected, um, respect one another. We need to honor one another. Have you ever wondered why there are so many different references in the Bible about the one another's? That's one of my favorite things to go through every time, I, every time I read my Bible. Actually, let me give you some. This is what tribe village is supposed to look like, okay? Now, if you feel guilty, that's on you. But that's what the Bible says. Look at what it says. Tribe village is supposed to be a congregation, a community of faith, a familia in which you love one another are to be devoted to one another, to honor others above yourself, to live in harmony with one another, to build up one another, to be like-minded toward one another, to accept one another, to admonish one another, to greet one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to submit to 
one another, to consider other, others as better as your, uh, than yourselves, to look for the interests of one another, to bear one another, to teach one another, to comfort one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to stir up one another, to love and to good works, to show hospitality to one another, to employ your gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another, to clothe yourself with humility toward one another, and to pray for one another and even, and this is the difficult one, to confess your sins to one another. There is no such a thing as individualism in the Bible. There's nothing that is more countercultural than the concept of one another. You know what that means? Listen up, church. That you won't survive. Unless you are part of a community of faith. That you don't have the power nor the ability to make it on your own. This is why I found it so significant that today we celebrate a membership. And that's why I think that if you're not a member of this community or any community, you should consider it. Because you're making a public confession and a public commitment. That I belong to a congregation, a congregation belongs to me. You know, when people say, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but people will say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I, I really don't like his church. Which is kind of ironic, because the Bible is described as the body of Christ. And it's almost like if I go to Eric and I say, bro, I really like you, but Jocelyn, I, I really don't like you. What would you say? I can't say to Eric, I, li I like you, and I don't like your wife. How do you separate those two? See, we ought to love the church. Even, as, even if it's messy. Because it's God's creation. And it's there for the glory of his name and my well-being as well. And your well-being. Now, did you notice then that if he says that we need one another, then your gifts are really needed in this community of faith? Like, really, everything you are and everything you have is needed within the community of faith. That's why, as a church, we don't like the word volunteers. We are, that sounds ugly. It's like a bad word. We like the phrase ministry partners. Because we are all together in this. It is not the job of Eric and the staff and Melissa and, and Ava to make things happen here. It's we are all in this together. Every single one of us is necessary and important. Everyone plays a role. Don't undermine what the Lord gave you. Listen to what this scholar, one of the scholars that I was checking this week said. Paul insists that each is indeed a part of the body regardless of what they might say. So even if you don't think that you have something to give, you have to pay attention to what Paul says. Each body part or organ plays an important role. And it is essential for each one to play the particular role for which it was created. If any part were not to fulfill its proper role, the whole body would suffer from its absence. If one of you are not playing what the Lord called you to play, everyone suffers. 
Just like in a body, something goes off, the entire body struggles. A well-functioning body requires a multiplicity of members with a multiplicity of functions. And a church full of just one kind of gift would quickly shrivel up and die from the loss of its other senses and its lack of nourishment. You need the people that the Lord has placed in your life. There's a reason why you have a gift or gifts for the building of the body. This might be the reason of this is actually the reason why Paul then gives all these descriptions of the spiritual gifts. In verse 6, for example, in verse 7, verse 8, it says, If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then encourage people. If it's to give, then give generously. If it's to lead, uh, go, uh, give di uh, diligently. If, to, if it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And I'm not going to spend much time there talking about uh, giving all this explanation because that's not the main, that's not my main goal here this morning. But I, I could tell you that Paul talks about three different groups of gifts. He talks about spiritual, uh, speaking gifts, leading gifts, or serving gifts. Speaking gifts are things like prophesying, teaching, exhortation, and knowledge. Leading gifts is more like government, administration, or wisdom. And serving gifts is more like giving mercy, hospitality, healing, and so on. But what I want you to see is that everyone has at least one of those gifts. Listen, these things are called spiritual gifts because are given by the Spirit. And because it is impossible for anybody to become a Christian without the presence and the ministry of the Spirit. The moment you become a Christian, the Spirit comes within you and gives you spiritual gifts. Everyone has a gift. At least one. Just put it to work. Now, I could say that because I'm visiting. Put it to work. It was given to you, to you for the glory of God and the well-being of this community. Put it to work. Listen, if you don't know what that gift is, what that gift is that's so easy to figure out. There's assessments that we do as a church that we could give you and help you discover. But I've learned that the best way for you to discover what your gifts are is simple as this. Listen, this is a million-dollar suggestion, right? If, if, I, if, if we make this public, I'll be rich. Listen up. The way you discover what your gifts are is do something. Really, do something. Whatever need there is, step into it. If you're terrible at it, you know that that wasn't your gift. Try something else. You discover what the Lord has given you by doing something. Looking at a need and then stepping in it. You know how I discovered that I had the, teaching, the gift of teaching? And people might say, well, you don't have that gift. <laughs> this is how I discovered that I had the gift of teaching. Because when I first became a Christian, there was a fourth grade class in my Sunday school class, in my Sunday in church, Sunday school class. And there was four students. And they needed a teacher. And I went in there. And I learned as I went. Now check this out. This is not even in notes, but it's okay. This is Tri-Village. We could go forever. Uh, 
Later on, I got married, and I needed to get a better job. And at that time, I was working. <laughs> don't make this public, okay? I was, I was working in the offices of a cemetery in the north side of Chicago. So I was the guy that took care of all the paperwork for cremations. Uh, not appealing, right? So I get married, and what I'm making there is not enough. I need to get a better job. And just by then, I'm graduating from, uh, from uh, my bachelor's, right? And I'm thinking, somebody says, hey, there's an opening in this school. They need a teacher. They, they need a bilingual teacher. And I say, yeah, but I don't know how to speak English. I say, that's okay. Go ahead. Try and they put me, I applied to this school, and because there was connections, because everything in Chicago was with connections, I had a friend that knew the principal, and the principal brought me in, and he said, this is what he said, Hannibal, do you have teaching experience? And this is what I answered. Yeah. <laughs> I teach a fourth grade class. I have four students. Literally, that was my answer. And he said, that'll do it. And I got hired as a teacher. And in that classroom, which by the way, I don't recommend that. But it's in that classroom, I discovered that the Lord had given me something to be able to bring something that was not clear and make it clear. The only way I discovered that was because there was a need and I stepped in it. Everyone here has a gift. And your gift is from God. Don't undermine it. And don't envy other people's gifts. Because your gift is good enough. Amen? How about if you tell the person next to you, your gifts are good enough? God makes no mistakes. God makes no mistakes. One of my professors at seminary who would say, he would say, God makes no junk. Which is true. Whatever the Lord has given you, however he built you, however he designed you, it's a good thing. And he puts us together as a family of faith. And we are one in Jesus. And we are part of the body of Christ. And we belong to one another. And everyone here has something to give. And everyone here needs to receive something from somebody. That's what community is like. That's why community is a priority. The last thing that I want to talk about is how is it that we make this happen? Because it's one thing to say, well, that sounds good. That even sounds romantic. Can we make it happen? And this leads me to point number three. The community faith is also a community of love. And of grace. Now, the reason why I'm using these two terms, love and grace, is because I believe that Paul uses these two concepts uh, in the text. So, for example, starting in verse 9, look at what it says. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Notice that in those two verses, he uses the word love twice. And the way he uses it, is when he says, for example, your love might be sincere, this is my translation. You got to learn how to love one another for real. That's the word. Sincere means for real. Genuinely learn how to love one another. Do you know what love is? It's when you choose to do something for the well-being 
of somebody else. Isn't that what Jesus did? Love is when you choose to do something for the well-being of somebody else. Now, Paul says that part of this expression of love is that we are devoted to one another. I love the word devoted because it can be translated when you, you, you really, really, really love somebody. And every time you find in the scripture, that term is mainly talking about family love. Did you know that? This is where we get the concept familia from. Our love as Christians is not regular love. It's family love. This is the beauty of our family. This is not in my notes either. I'm sorry. You don't get to choose family. How many of you guys have annoying siblings? <laughs> they were given to you. You don't get to choose. And because God makes no mistakes, those were given to you for a reason. That's what church looks like. Even when he says another expression that, that, that Paul uses here is to honor one another. You know what that means? It's when you value another person above yourself. It's when you prize that person like nothing else. It's when you respect another person like nothing else. That's what the community of faith should look like. A community of faith without love, that kind of love, it's no community. And I believe that that's what the Lord calls you and calls me to be part of. And I believe that this is a perfect description of what it means to be a church. By the way, a beautiful church. But there's a second element needed there. And it's the concept of grace. This is the only reason why I included it in part of the reading in verses 1 and 2. Even though Paul seems to be talking about two different things. He seems to be talking about two different things. Look at what verse 1, starting on verse 1 says. Therefore, can you say therefore? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what, God, what God will, God's will is, his good uh, pleasant and perfect will. And I'm not going to explain all of that because the only thing that I wanted you to see is this. Paul here is talking about uh, what the aim of life in the life in the heart of a Christian should be. He says that the aim of life for a Christian should be to please God with everything we are and everything we have. Is to say to God, whatever I am and whatever I have is at your disposal. That's what Paul is saying. Interesting enough that after he says that, he talks about community. The implication is that Paul says, if you want to live a life that is pleasing to God, if everything you are and everything you have is at God's disposal, then use it within the context of community. He's actually saying that the power and the motivation for you to live your community must come from your desire to please God. Listen up. Why would you want to please God? Verse 1 says, because of God's mercy. You know what mercy is, right? 
when the Lord doesn't give you what you deserve. Isn't that the reason why Jesus went to the cross? So he could take what you deserve. And this is why the concept, the, the, the word therefore, is extremely important in the text. Paul says that the motivation and the power for us to want to live in community and use our gifts for the glory of God and the well-being of others. And the reason why we embrace this beautiful mess and the reason why we want to die to ourselves for the sake of somebody else. And the reason why we want to love other people sacrificially. And the only reason why we want to give ourselves to each other is because that's what we have already received in Jesus Christ. The word therefore is making a reference to everything else Paul already said from chapter 1 to chapter 11. In chapter 1 and 2, he talks about that we are so broken that Jesus had to die for us. And then he tells you that it is only when we place our faith in, in him that we are being justified by grace alone, by Christ alone. And then he tells you that the only reason why we have been justified is because God chose you. You didn't choose him, he chose you. And he tells you that once you have placed your faith in him and you have been sanctified, now justified, now you get to live your life by the influence and the power of the spirit. And once you have all of that, he says, live out your Christianity within the context of community. That is the power and the motivation. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the patience of God. You know what our problem is with, with community? We want from others what only God can give us. God gave you already what you needed the most. Your salvation, your adoption, your sanctification. Now, go and give it to others. That's the power for community. Amen? Can we pray? Beautiful Savior, we are so grateful that we don't have to live Christianity by ourselves. Actually, that we get to see that Christianity is not to be, uh, to be lived in isolation. I pray for Tri Village, Lord. What a beautiful place. What a beautiful community of faith you have created. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make of Tri Village more and more a loving community. That they may know and understand that they belong to one another. That they have gifts and abilities to be used for the glory of God and the well-being of each other. Would you please do that? Would you please help us and teach us what Jesus already made of us? And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say...